Welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're normally two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 11, Past Tense Part 1, teleplay by Robert Hewitt Wolf and directed by Reza Badi, and Episode 12, Past Tense Part 2, Teleplay by Ira Stephen Barrett and Renee Echevarra, and directed by Jonathan Fricks. These episodes aired on January 8th and 15th, 1995, respectively. This week on Deep Space Nine, trapped 300 years in the past, Cisco, Bashir, and Dax find themselves confronting one of the darkest hours in Earth's history. With history itself at stake, oh, it's very dramatic. With history itself at stake, Cisco must risk all to see that the Bell riots reach their inevitable conclusion, even if it means sacrificing his life. Well, unfortunately, Elise couldn't join us this week, everyone. There's some some kind of other commitments and things like that came into place, but we have an excellent guest that I've been very excited to have on the podcast since they agreed to come on when we, we moved into season three a couple weeks ago. Uh, and they're also one of my, my favorite local Alberta leftist Twitter mutuals. Um, we have Karen on the podcast. So welcome friend of the pod, Karen. Hello. Karen is a freelance graphic designer, illustrator, and appears on one of my other favorite podcasts that, respectfully puts my podcasting history to shame the alberta advantage podcast so yeah welcome karen excited to have you yes here. thank you uh thank you for joining me and uh giving me an opportunity to talk about one of my favorite subjects other than leftism and alberta which is star trek <laughs> which i think you can even um uh, couch into alberta with uh vulcan alberta being a real place so there you go well and and before i found out that elise couldn't couldn't record this week i already warned them that especially as we as we live in this kind of current state of the pandemic and everything else that we're kind of living in in this neolib diet neoliberal experiment that is alberta (laughs) um you know because like the chicago school is the chicago school we can't have it we can't have anything unique in alberta we just call the calgary school and it's like literally like the president's choice version of the chicago school of economics but anyways (laughs) um i was like oh we're, we're gonna be getting like some seriously like alberta references as we go through here so apologies slash not apologies oh yeah i already got a stampede breakfast joke so you know there we go that's exciting um karen i was wondering before we kind of dive into the discussion and themes of the episode if you can like tell us a bit about your either your star trek or your deep space nine origin story because we kind of like to get that that kind of you know personal history when we bring on new guests to the podcast so sure i'm happy to go when did you first (laughs) encounter star trek Uh, yeah yeah, i mean honestly that's one of those questions where you can't even pick a date because it was kind of like in my earliest memories is watching um next generation with my family of the the 80s babies who you know came came of age when star trek was a current happening thing which of course um it's also a family thing because my dad watched the original series in the 60s when it was on air and then obviously was overjoyed when there was you know more of it so uh so he's been a a loyal viewer ever since and uh i became such as well uh just because of the years that i grew up in i somehow kind of missed Mm -hmm. deep space nine on the first pass i was very excited for the premiere of voyager and watched that all the way through but i didn't get around to watching all of the episodes of deep space nine in order till netflix a few years ago uh so i i have seen the entire series once i've seen random episodes here and there 
you know throughout my mm-hmm. life on tv uh but i was glad to be able to revisit uh this episode or these two episodes we'll be watching for um what we're recording today so great something that elise and i have talked about a lot like about ds9 specifically and kind of like placing it within its you know both socio-political like context of you know it being like a 90s era show but even like within the context of its place within the star trek fan franchise and that era of star trek storytelling we talk a lot about what the writers of tng dubbed the roddenberry box listeners will remember that that's the set of rules that gene roddenberry for the type of stories you could tell but more specifically how the characters on the Enterprise, how Starfleet officers were able to interact with each other. So it became this kind of challenge in the writer's room for Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager writers as well as how to create dramatic conflict when your characters, your Starfleet officers, can't be in conflict with each other. So again, in Deep Space Nine, that's where we get setting on the Bajoran station with the integrated Bajoran crew. I think the Voyager analog with that would be, you know, the whole Maquis storyline and blending the Maquis crew with the Starfleet crew. Now, spoilers, if you're following along with this podcast and haven't yet gotten to Voyager, that dramatic point of friction um, evaporates pretty quickly. I've abandoned it with (laughs) even season two. It's just not really a thing anymore. Yeah, it's just not there. But I guess then you said coming to, like you say, to Deep Space Nine a little bit later once it was on Netflix, having been familiar with kind of some of those others, late 80s, 90s era shows. Mm -hmm. Did you have any, what's the word I'm looking for? Did you have any kind of reluctance to the ways in which Deep Space Nine like takes that Roddenberry box and kind of flips it on his head? Or is that something that you like watching it kind of in our more more modern contemporary era gives the show reson- like more um, resonance? Yeah, no, I, I think I understood what they were trying to do, at least as far as, you know, a viewer can know what's going on behind the scenes. Um, actually, one super insightful piece of media that I very much enjoyed is the Deep Space Nine documentary. So I had had seen that uh, in between watching the whole series and talking to you now. And that, you know, gave me a lot of understanding of, you know, the the kind of boundaries that they were trying to push. And there's some really great scenes where they're trying to explain that they could have gone further on issues, especially like LGBT issues. They were like, we could blame the executives or society, but really we could have just pushed it further than we did. So I thought that was nice for having writers and producers and showrunners admit that because you don't you don't get that. And you usually get like backhanded explanations as to why they didn't do a certain thing or did that people didn't like. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was also thinking as as you were talking about it, uh, it doesn't seem to be a problem with like new Trek or like the, the Star Trek that's currently on air to have crew members in conflict. Like, I don't know if that just evaporated in the last 20 years or was forgotten or purposefully ignored because the, the joke that I say with uh, summarizing like a next generation episode is that if the crew members aren't getting along with each other, one of them is possessed. Like that's literally, the, yeah. that's the explanation, yeah. right? Where that's the, that's the whole plot of the episode. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas even like a more gentle show or like supposed to be like tame, like um, strange new worlds. It's like, why, why do these crew members just not get along? Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't track with, it's supposed to be more or less the same era of the original series. And they, you know, they get along fine other than bullying Spock a little bit, but you know, there's, there's not, but again, that, that usually is, read as like 
good natured and again if it's not there's usually yeah. an evil alien around so if ever if yeah. things get too far but now it just seems to be like well this is how people like interact with each other i'm like and that's kind of to me that's kind of a retreat from you know like i'd like to imagine a world where we just don't have petty conflicts or we not we're not internalizing our like problems and projecting them in our personal relationships because those societal problems aren't there so that's that's how i would think about that but yeah i I like the approach that deep space nine took to like here's some and not even just the bajorans but you know people like odo or quark who are just like in Mm -hmm. the kind of expanded universe and that makes it feel like a universe instead of just this this kind of like social imperialist project of like we're just gonna flatten everyone (laughs) so (laughs) which is pretty you know a little discouraging occasionally if you watch these things too many times <laughs> then you, yeah. you can't like separate like the federation from starfleet from these you know 10 people or whatever so. yeah and i think that's like one of the greatest strengths like for me especially like going back to the well as much as i have with deep space nine is because it kind of looks at it kind of looks under the curtain or like yeah i guess looks under the curtain it's like the wizard of oz thing right <laughs> yes where like you you have like oh TNG and we're we're in this great you know quasi socialist utopia that anyone who's followed me on Twitter knows that it's <laughs> largely by my estimation a um kind of liberal modernist fantasy because it's achieved without class struggle. Put a pit in that thought for our discussion <laughs> later, folks. Um, but yeah, like there's that great Cisco line of like it's easy to be a saint in paradise, and the idea is they're on Deep Space Nine, they're on the frontier air quotes so you know they don't have the same luxury that like the ds9 cast would have um but there again lies in something that you know lisa and i talk about a lot too about the federation being this kind of benevolent imperial power of course and like sometimes i think ds9 like realizes this to a certain degree maybe not necessarily like the full way but again i think a really good Wayne, I know Elise and I have talked about this this before, but the idea that like the Federation is what a lot of liberals within the imperial core of the United States consider the United States to be, when in reality it's like we're we as the West are like Cardassian. <laughs> yeah, we're very right? far off from even that like ideal. I think. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess that's a good segue then into kind of our, our next discussion point and then getting into the the episode more specifically. Sure. Can you tell me and more importantly, our listeners, a little bit about why you picked this two-part episode of Deep Space Nine for your pod race debut? Well, sure. Um, well, I jumped on this two-parter specifically because I remember uh, when I first did my watch through of the show on Netflix, I, I hadn't seen anyone talk about this. I think there's been a couple of op-eds and things written in the the years since about this being you know one of the more politically astute episodes of the whole franchise but uh i just didn't see it coming when i originally had it queued up so it had a lot of surprising scenes especially uh, i think i think i was watching this before trump so it was kind of and we saw trump kind of coming on the horizon i'm like man this is just trump's america like it's like wow this <laughs> how prescient are they to write this or have these certain dialogues or scenes so so i wanted to revisit it now that we're hopefully uh permanently post-trump uh and yeah and it's also as we're gonna find out or heard in the summary like it's, it's set in 2024 so that's only two years away we have this 
problem with a lot of science fiction, you know, classically like 2001 and stuff where you're, you're way past mm-hmm. what they thought the future was. And it's obviously in some ways similar and in other ways, just absolutely nothing like what, you know, we, we don't have the, you know, the space vehicles of 2001. We have, we have more sophisticated movies, but we don't have <laughs> movies about the same topic, but we don't have like those things in space. But uh, yeah. So I wanted to see like, again, how many things held up, like, just a couple of years away and uh, reassess the politics. So that's how I decided to appear on this episode. Yeah, it's it's always fun when science fiction does like a near future story and then you catch up to it and the ways in which it's like, okay, we are on the internet like all the time and have like permanent internet brain <laughs> yes, damage. Yes. We don't use styluses anymore. There are a lot of styluses in this episode on their computer systems. Yeah. Cause like, I guess <laughs> Palm pilots would have been new in the mid nineties, yeah. but again, it's, it's not as like mobile. Right. So they like you know that like people would largely be watching, you know, the net or the news or yeah. whatever, like on their computer workstation, but it's not like on a tablet. It's on this like built in computer desk and just, it's just kind of funny. Yeah. Jed Zia's, 2024 clothes are like this neo-victorian sort of number <laughs> yeah i was thinking about the diamond age from uh stevenson it's a novel where they have neo-victorians but again that hasn't been adapted to a uh, screen but i i think you'll still you find a lot of like you know cosplay and things <laughs> i guess she she kind of read yeah. to me as a cosplayer but uh... <laughs> steampunk yeah Jazzy exactly just just miss the goggles just that's miss all the goggles. that's all yeah so as we kind of pivot into like, you know, kind of talking about the meat of the episode a bit, we do have some some dispatches from Elise. So Karen, as the guest and I guess the, the pseudo Elise replacement. Not that Elise is replaceable. No, no irreplaceable. No. Well, that's, not what we're, that's not what I'm saying. No, but, uh, uh, yeah, merely a stand-in. Uh, so, um, well, <laughs> I, I can read uh, the quotes that they sent for... I guess there's some se- some segments that I'm familiar with uh, listening to the show that uh, you want to see how familiar they are with the the, the episode. episode. Yes, we, <laughs> again. In our initial thoughts, we always we always ask the question, or often ask the question, whether Elise did or didn't remember the episode. So, Karen, did Elise remember this episode? Uh, I think they remembered people talking about the Bell Riots as as if it was an actual historical memory, which is funny. But uh, um, apparently they did not really remember the plot. So it's kind of like in the meta universe, but not really in the original run that they watched. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like, and not to like spoil the end of the podcast too much, but like the, the actual like, techno babble how cisco bashir and dax get sent back in time or whatever like it's just so hand wavy it's like <laughs> borderline like irrelevant it was right? kind of just why just like just why go bother with it. just why go bother? With it. it's just like you've you've seen yeah. this before you've seen a transporter accident and i even feel like the kind of um latter half this is in part two but where uh, o'brien and kira are kind of appearing in different uh, decades to see how yeah. if if their missing crew members are there, which doesn't again very nonsensical, but it, it's kind of gives you an opportunity to allude to like the original series where they time travel to the sixties or the twenties or the thirties or whatever. So you've got mm-hmm. that, but I don't know. I personally didn't need to spend a lot of time of like here's another explanation why this thing yeah. happened. To me, it's like a fable. It's like what? Who cares? <laughs> so. 
a tale as old as time, indeed, a song indeed. as old as rhyme. Right? Spaceship going and back I mean, hey, past. that's just always happening. Well, exactly. And I mean, who wouldn't want a flower child to give Kira and O'Brien daisies and then fold them a peace sign as they evaporate? I mean, that's like, you know, that's just cute. Like, that's, I, I wrote cute yeah, little moments. Right? That's that's what it is. <laughs> Listeners, you'll realize. You know, you'll be hearing this later than we're recording it, because as you may may have learned from us talking about previously, we do record a few episodes ahead. But this episode takes place between the period of time of August 30th to September 3rd, 2004. And we're recording this just outside of that um, in 2022. So we we have almost caught up to the bell. And if it's like the last two Um, years, we won't even notice because time isn't real anymore. So. Yeah, time. What is it, Karen? Why are you trying to have me get me to have an existential crisis? Like, <laughs> so so early in, the, in the as first well. third of podcast exactly. recording. Uh, um, well, don't think about it too hard. It's fine. Well, I was either going to be an existential crisis, or I was going to start singing Hootie and the Blowfish, which are <laughs> both are equally probably <laughs> terrible. So I don't need to subject uh, anyone to those, right? No, no. It's uh, fine. Let's <laughs> let's get on with uh, themes. We love themes. We love themes. So I just like to start off just a little bit of context, both for the, the genesis of this episode and then some other kind of, you know, Matt's history corner that can come out of out of that that discussion of the context of the episode's production. When this episode of the story was first being being broke, what the idea that Robert Hewitt Wolf had was a kind of classic Trek kind of examination of like a social issue, which is this is very much a a examination episode of social issues kind of in the spirit of classic TOS some next gen episodes with with mixed um results but kind of that that classic kind of TOS Star Trek motif so the idea was that this episode would be an examination of those living living with homelessness right and Cisco was going to be trapped in the fast was going to tell folks who he was and then be considered mentally ill and then left to fend for himself living on the streets with no supports um when Hewitt Wolf brought this to the writers room Iris Stephen Bear came up with the idea of the sanctuary district angle based on a recent trip trip that he had taken to the Santa Barbara beach in which there was tells of tons of unhoused folks around the tourists were going to the beach and were like more or less acting like the folks experiencing homelessness were part of the sights to see like oh, oh how gross. like you know yeah. and just yeah yeah just the, and the, really the uncomfortable feeling that he kind of had with that oh, um and so that was like... where he kind of came up with the idea of these um basically ghettoizing these these types of populations did they uh this is just a you know history aside but they they punt the kind of um cisco being mentally ill to like future episodes because i think that's in far beyond the stars and stuff as well so yeah, I and the, definitely. So when I when I was looking at kind of the sources, and a lot of it relies heavily on the the Deep Space Nine Companion, which is out of print and thusly very expensive. So I'm looking at quotes picked from it from a kind of somewhat removed from context. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't able to confirm that specifically, but that was that was my yes, sense it, as well. Especially that like yeah. going back in time and kind of to that more like that mid century context, kind of again you know, things like that. But yeah, it definitely stood out to me there too. It, it felt familiar yep. for sure. Now the bell riots that occur over the course of this episode were modeled after, or I guess inspired by the Attica prison riots or uprising in September as well in 1971. Um, the Attica prison 
rebellion, uprising, you know, however you want to kind of define it, took place in the state prison in Attica, New York, started on September 9th, 1971, and ended on September 13th. It had the highest number of fatalities in the history of United States prison uprisings. Uh, 43 people died, 33 were incarcerated folks, 10 were correctional officers and employees, and all but one guard and three of the incarcerated folks were killed by law enforcement gunfire when Nelson Rockefeller, who was the governor of New York at the time, sent in the troops basically to retake control of the prison. The idea of the prison riot was about protesting against the unfair living conditions in the prison and basically trying to advocate for prison reform. Rockefeller refused to meet with the prisoners, um, was also working with our buddy slash not buddy Richard Nixon and consulting with him a lot. So, you know... Not great people all around <laughs> well, involved in this. And yeah. History hasn't been, well, deservedly, it has been not kind because they're awful. That's all. And while in the short term, and I think this is the the real kind of point I'd like to drive home about the, the Attica prison uprisings for our, our listeners is, yes, like in this episode, the Bell Rides, it ended, you know, with with violence, state violence, um, to put down the uprising. But while in the short term, there was a lot of work on prison reform in the 70s as largely a response to this and trying to give incarcerated folks more humane treatment, um, a lot of those improvements to the United States prison system in the years that were immediately following the uprisings were reversed or eroded and moved backwards over the course of the neoliberal 1980s and 1990s because again we just it was probably cheaper to not care yeah i and i think i feel as that's a good thing um would the clintons be involved in this somehow i i feel like a lot of the bills and things that were put through just you know under bill clinton were just at least criminalizing a lot of previously kind of yeah because you had the you had the like crime bill and what yes. was that like 92 or 94 yeah. um largely authored by the current president joe biden oh, well, um, no joe biden's good yeah. you know that yeah. <laughs> this is sarcasm meter up to 11 but i think it just broke yeah, exactly. i just think it just broke um so yeah because you have this like the whole idea of um the prison like the prison industrial complex really kicks off with reagan yes, and then yes. the clinton's are very gladly kind of taking that up because again it's i mean karen you know this and like a lot of our listeners will know this it's that whole like new it's it's the tony blair thing right where it's like this new way of like you know liberal parties like a new new left yeah, which is basically just yeah. a, a soft a soft conservatism yeah, right? yeah definitely um so you know we can further to uh, during that period in the prison system you're having more mass incarcerations as you know you're doing the the air quotes war on drugs etc cetera, etc cetera. and you're also seeing a, a wider privatization of the prison system because it's cheaper on the government coffers right because they're they're paying for less right right so not only are you incarcerating and more or less enslaving folks um in a lot of cases you're saving money while doing it and that's 
that's basically what the Chicago and or University of Calgary schools just just love. That's their that's their economic mo, right? Oh, exactly. So. Yeah, I mean, I just saw them privatizing surgeries today, so thought that would be the Calgary folks, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's their whole project: give give public money to private companies and individuals, and giving the public worse services. So. But um, I I'm thinking your overall point that comes around to the episode is that and i definitely felt this throughout that it's quite it's quite naive and it's sad to realize this that you know the deaths of like 40 something people wouldn't necessarily move history or at least not at this time or this era so it's just it, it just you know how, how many i just read today that uh covid uh killed more canadians than world war ii and i'm like well that's yeah. not going to change how we mostly live so it's like what what does it take and i kind of don't want to find out what it would take because obviously just making things worse we're not accelerationists here like making things worse until they get better doesn't work which is kind of one of the one of the flaws or like drawbacks of the episode but i mean it's it's a star trek episode we can't like put all of our hopes and dreams into into it all all the time but just a few but at at the same time like Oh, I'm feeling spicy today. Listeners. Go, this go is for your it. warning. This this is your warning. But at the same time, I think like as a culture, we do put all of our hopes and dreams into like a version of like corporate media. Oh, definitely. Right. Yeah. And 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 I think that this episode is very like indicative of that too because it's like i always think and i've brought this up on still great bob which is kind of on an unplanned hiatus right now but like my madman podcast um the like blog from like 10 15 years ago like stuff white people like (laughs) and the one i always think about is raising awareness Mm -hmm. um this feels like a very special special episode on our various social problems under capitalism that is too afraid to name capitalism as the culprit right and uh, yeah it's just yeah that's what i don't know like again this this is a little bit uh you know mild spicy on me but uh the the best explanation i could think of is that as that's about as far as you can get in a syndicated 90s sci-fi show like you can't can't just break it down that far like i'm the fact that they even mentioned trotskyists i'm like this is you know still worlds away from current track where they just you know name drop elon musk instead as like a (laughs) space explorer it's like as if the i mean i don't even blame them like really severely for that because it's just the writers just don't know the difference whereas like the 90s writers or at least a couple of them had some political awareness or sense of history like even the fact that this is an analogy to like a real world event Uh, again to compare to like one of the more recent shows like uh in strange new worlds they kind of just fix the problem by giving a kirk type speech and using the enterprise technology to reverse a previous problem and it's like well that's just kind of the tng model again where it's like okay we're we're smarter and more powerful so we're just going to fix your problem and you know you're welcome so i think uh deep space mind still com- complicates it more than that but it definitely yeah. has its limitations too yeah it, it it doesn't look for a carbon capture solution because no, no. it, it knows that we aren't gonna like innovate our way <laughs> no <laughs> out, of, out of it right no there is a social um, solution to a social problem at least but even yeah. if it's a little well and, and what's interesting too is when the episode aired it drew criticism for appearing appearing to be quote too preachy 
too liberal, too soapbox-like, which is something that disappointed Ira Stephen Bear, who felt that the show had important things to say about treating serious issues in a realistic manner. And this is a quote from, from Ira. Quote, we're not going to solve anything with two hours of TV. The homeless are still there. The problem hasn't gone away. But maybe just one person saw this and started to see the problem in a different way. I just thought it was important to show the other side. Um, which, he's right, and you're right. It's an episode of television. It's not <laughs> going to change the world. Yeah. Um, also, this is... Sorry, they also got pushback for only, like, showing one perspective and not, like, how this saves the government money and you can walk to work and not see you know, folks living with addictions or experiencing homelessness. So, yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. But unsurprising. I was going to say, it's just like, I I still find people are very much like this. I mean, this is probably like what adults said in the mid nineties, but um, you know, when, when I was working downtown and like, you know, more prosperous days of working downtown in Calgary, uh, societally prosperous and no downturn uh, like yeah people did not uh, see these problems or they said oh well that's that's not something I see and like I could I could go outside and show you like it's I don't know how people put those blinders on but obviously they still do so I think the most radical thing that this episode does and I think again it's not perfect I do, I do want to like say that and I do have some criticisms of it but I think the most kind of politically radical thing this episode does is it treats all of the residents largely speaking of the sanctuary districts as humans oh definitely because I, I think we we dehuman when we look at a lot of these big social issues um like homelessness like like addictions like basically all these downstream impacts of any sort of economic economic downturn um we dehumanize yes yes these individuals a lot and when and like that's I think the whole argument of within Star Trek history why the Bell riots were successful in changing public opinion is because people were able to share their stories and basically more largely as a society kind of recognize their humanity, mm-hmm. um, which again I I think our own recent history of the last two to ten years i think that arc is a little bit more difficult than this Uh, episode hopes for no i i specifically thought of like i wish just people telling their stories on camera and saying i'm i'm human and i struggle and we should all care about each other i'm like i wish that was effective which is very you know maybe i'm very cynical now but especially after the last couple of years because i mean this tracks pretty well with like future casting but the pandemic is maybe just kind of one of those divergent points where it's not just that you know that interfered with life and people's livelihood and families and the tragic aspects but it's just like i think honestly people have like a capacity to ignore problems or distance themselves from other people and their concerns in a way that i didn't think was possible even like three five years ago so very bleak but it's true well and like the way that like our kind of societal blinders as as you point out like looking at the last you know two years and like it's it's hard not to watch this episode now in 2022 and like think about the examples of civil disturbances air quotes Mm. um following the murder of george floyd two years ago and how at that point in the pandemic 
um people are treating it differently generally mm-hmm. speaking than than we are now um but like people were largely at home they were they were kind of forced to watch yeah um and then got motivated and you had a lot of what were seemingly exclusively kind of academic exercises um and discussions about the abolitionist movement being more mainstream yes and that feeling like a vector point in culture like a a contemporary 1968 yeah, right yeah. To, to borrow a kind of you know boomer period <laughs> type type term or year exactly. or whatever um and now two years later we're giving more money to the cops <laughs> and we're like uh-huh. it's reform like and the ways in which this the insidiousness of our system has like counteracted that like something that i think about a lot um from listening to the alberta advantage podcast Ooh, there you go. which again if, if if you haven't listened to it, listeners you should <laughs> and definitely, we'll definitely check have out. new episodes in the fall because uh it's and been a bit in the meantime summer, but uh, you know we got it <laughs> well and you're doing a lot of good, good work right now on like on the the twitch streaming oh yeah i mean there's too, we're a multimedia so project so we have uh you know newsletter streams uh yeah mm-hmm. but again the main episodes should be returning we're not we're not you know floating out to sea or anything but the idea of the ways in which kind of capitalism and especially this kind of late stage neoliberal flavor of capitalism that we're in is able to internalize its own critiques and then whitewash itself and then kind of turn things around and it's been insidious but kind of impressive how quickly it's done that in the last two years about things like abolition um and yeah it's hard not to watch this episode and not not oh yeah i mean i guess your your description matt uh, crystallize some things for me that I think the the point where you thought that maybe this is at least somewhat you know predicting the future or echoing the future was the earlier BLM like even the footage of kind of the buildings on fire in this episode reminds me of Ferguson but then mm-hmm. the pandemic and I mean I'm sure it's way way more complicated than this but it seems like just the pandemic put a lot of like uh yeah squash it basically and then the ways that uh the response to blm is just like you know like uh books about how to be a better white person or whatever that seems to be what i i buy a white person by oh um what depends sometimes white well white fragility sometimes it is and sometimes it's uh you know a a liberal black professor who you know like maybe the book in and of itself is like there's nothing wrong with it but it's part of a you know a larger narrative that's like here here are things that i representing an entire community or you know a segment of you know north america have to say to you white liberal uh you know woman or whatever it's kind of like that's like that's that's a bit that's a bit much to much much as you can't put too much into one tv episode you can't put too much into one book or one professor one lecture or anything it's just sort of like it's a it's a conversation and i think that's the best way to look at it but if it's sort of like uh yeah preaching or or uh, like you know people don't like that (laughs) they don't respond that well so i don't like it anyway well and like the system needs individuals to lionize or to like use as like indicative to be able to like kind of flatten the discourse to be like this this person represents this whole movement or this whole like conversation and kind of like is the the spokesperson for this and like that's something like 
that I've been thinking about too <laughs> as I like rewatch this episode yeah. and kind of you know con- contemplate but the idea of like Cisco assuming this role of this historical figure who like dies at the end of the first episode because of their intervention like defending them against you know violence in the sanctuary district mm-hmm. um it feels a little like great man theory right <laughs> like the idea but that he has like to come. he yeah. bell yeah right and it's just yeah like the, that's the other side of the coin from the idea of oh we're gonna bring on this this talking head that we can may or may not like tokenize to speak to a moment that flattens the experience of like an entire group of people right yeah well again i'll i'll kind of counterpoint to that would be that the the figure that they're imitating or uh trying to capture the spirit of is like the black radical and i don't think that's i mean you can't be that cynical about like the great man as someone like you know malcolm x or a black panther or something (laughs) like i i think those are those those don't get a lot of like you know uh, representation of their stories and you know as an era of in an era of obsessed with representation it's like you don't see a lot of like true black radical figures uh or if they are like um martin luther king they're very like you know the, the message is very neutered and flattened and like it's it's very like you know embarrassing like what people say and do on mlk day and because it's it's not representing that man or his politics at all either so yeah yeah no that's a that's a good point that's a good point and like even like specific talking about like various like whether it's like fred hampton or like other malcolm x like those other kind of like you know black any kind of black panther like it's just that the whole generation was like wiped out like they were so like when you like look at it like they're when like fred hampton was executed and he was like 10 years younger than me he was what it's like his early 20s like exactly so the the fact that you know you've got a star trek character stepping into that role i'm like i again i can't be that cynical they're not yeah. it, this is, i have a note about mark twain and Fair. i'm like I, I think we have a lot of mark twain on <laughs> in media but maybe <laughs> don't have a lot of fred hampton's in, in media so if cisco has to yeah. be that for half an episode then that's i'm okay with that but i wanted to talk a little bit more about the kind of sanctu- sanctuary district concept specifically and how oh, sure. the residents of the sanctuary district are classified both by like the sanctuary district like staff like i guess the equivalent of their social workers basically um and or guards which again weird um (laughs) we've 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 literally like created a ghetto here to house all of our social problems way way to go society that's i mean that that does feel contemporary i mean unfortunately (laughs) we were still redlining in 19 or in 2020 i mean we we have Um, migrant camps and if you're you know in the right wing imaginary you have the fema camps which don't exist but in you know in some people's minds they might as well have so I think that's one of the things that you know the episode does predict pretty well that there's going to be these yeah. kind of places and I think the the representation of the people at the party or, or Brenner's friends is much better than maybe some of the actual depictions of the sanctuary because it's like oh I, I thought they closed all those down and so it's like you know it's just like they don't even know that they're there and there's like supposed to be like you know like tens of thousands of people in each of these so it's like okay well you know that that rings true where people don't even really know what's happening in their society or what's happening to other people so i think one of the most insidious things a person can like 
identify as is apolitical <laughs> yes right of course <laughs> um where it's like you could have like the evilest politics imaginable but it's like not to i guess to paraphrase the big lebowski <laughs> of course you but can not do totally that. at least it's an ethos <laughs> oh, um yeah, yeah. right um instead of like realize like just yeah, yeah that that contrast between who dax gets you know rescued by as the you know white woman i mean she's a trail but yeah, she reads exactly as well. i i put, I put uh, it's played I by put a white, white actress. <laughs> i mean like yeah. she's got spots that's it yeah and i well <laughs> brenner used to have a maori tribal tattoo on his arms i'm like oh 90s appropriation well, at, at least, least he like admitted removed, it wasn't but... appropriate <laughs> Uh, yeah but like that whole like the idea of the ways in which like they're very much the board like they're having their bourgeoisie kind of you know dinner party they're drinking their drinks they're so far removed like it's all like academic to them they might as well you know be tweeting with a blue check about you know their the latest article they read in vox yes. or something right like yeah the, i thought yeah, that no, that was really the, good. Uh, especially i think this is almost all, always the case with Star Trek two-parters, but one part one's always much better than, than part two. Like, the, I don't, I don't, I can't think of like an example where it 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 gets much better in part two, but uh, where there's really this great setup or like yeah, like the contrasting scenes yeah. between like you know a, a black man and brown man, and then um, like yeah, the the white woman who's really an alien, but you know for for the purposes of the episode. It's just you know a damsel in distress they literally say that so um also like there was like this this is very much an aside but uh there's like the the bowie type person he just looks very much like 90s david bowie i don't know why they wanted to cast somebody <laughs> like that but who also was really into like the net and kind of early selling himself as stocks and things anyway so david bowie very pressy into our current era but uh yeah, so he's he's able to rescue her, and yeah, that that the ways those play out, and I I notice rewatching it how specific it is, how she just is able to have her own agency to reapply for a pass and things, whereas um, Cisco and uh, Bashir just put through this like you know grueling bureaucracy where they don't no nobody who's working there helping to get them back where they belong really cares so i thought those were really good scenes and there's nothing really comparable to it in part two it's just sort of the usual like looking for the missing crew members and trying to make sure history yeah. goes the way it should and it's very normal star trek stuff but and one of the things that really stood out to me in, in part one is when bashir and cisco are kind of put into the system yes yes in the sanctuary district the social worker realizes calls them gimmies oh if i realized you were gimmies and not dims um and we'll we'll explain those a little bit and <laughs> you don't remember from the yeah. episode in a second i would have been able to help you sooner right oh. which they're triaging their incredibly high caseload as a social worker based on what they perceive to be the cognitive ability yes. of the person who needs assistance mm -hmm. and i'm just like yeah, no that's you know, also one of the best scenes like a hard scene to watch but it's hard to watch for the right reasons it's not just cringy or silly it's like they they knew what they were doing making people feel uncomfortable because it's like you yeah. you know in your head like we've all thought this like you know uh, unfortunately we're able to 
you know, uh, kind of perceive people's, like, you know, various abilities and agency of, like, um, and unfortunately, this is, you know, the message that we get. It's like, well, if they if they can help themselves, they, they will. And if they can't, then they need, like, you know, like, someone to help you them but if they're if they're not deserving should they should they be prioritized it's it's yeah it's uh sad that you know that that gets into all of our brains unfortunately but yeah yeah so there are three further subclassification subclassifications excuse me of residents in the sanctuary district so there's gimmies there are dims and then there are ghosts um so I guess, Karen, what did you think of, A, that these classifications exist, and then in follow-up, how did you feel about how the episode explored them? <laughs> well, definitely the first two that you mentioned, I think, were played out and were useful for the purposes of the episode. I immediately classified gimmies as normies. Not that they should be perceived as normal, but it should be just like, you know, middle-class people who have not have cognitive impairments and should be able to work and just kind of you know we we all know see people like this and we see stories in the news and stuff it's like you know so and so just fell on hard times and they they should be able to like restart their business or get another job or you know um you know care about their family that's a huge uh theme as well the, the needing to care for your like immediate family uh but yeah i Basically, I put down that they don't like handouts because they, they mentioned this is very American, but they're just like, we don't like handouts, but we like yeah. opportunities. It's like, okay, you can you can have yeah. a job, but you can't just like, I mean, it's it's surprising that even in the sanctuary district, like if you wait long enough, you're going to get your egg and sausage or whatever, which looked at least on Cisco's plate, like way better than a lot of like hospital and airline food I've ever seen. So I'm like, just like, it's like normal food. I mean, it's not that bad. They got, they got food. I mean, if the wait like several hours, but it's like, it's there. So that's my, that's my stampede breakfast analogy, which is stupid and silly, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but you, you get that. So there's the bread lines exist under <laughs> capitalism too. Exactly. Uh, so you get, you get a, at least a couple meals a day. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's many places to sleep, but it's, it's California. So you can sleep on the street without freezing. Uh, and then, yeah. Uh, so moving on to the dims, uh, this was a little confusing in terms of me classifying it. Cause I'm like, well, this is kind of the underclass or the marginalized. And there is a line that Bashir is like, most, most of these people are, mental, are mentally ill. And he seems like kind of put off or shocked by this, which is actually pretty good for Star Trek. Cause especially in the original series, there's a lot of problems where like people are just, you know, not able to cope with things and they don't get treated in a very sensitive way but they seem to have corrected that somewhat in the in the 90s but or recognize that it's like a you know disabilities are, are you know real in whatever century and just require treatment and like humane treatment uh so i put that as the un underclassed or marginalized people because it's not always clear like other than being mentally ill why they're marginalized but just i guess they just started as poor uh, and then the ghosts, I thought, was kind of a, it seems like a concept that they had, like, in the original drafts, but it wasn't really developed, because you don't really see any of them, unless I missed them, which maybe that was part of the point, but... <laughs> I think BC is supposed to be a Oh, ghost, is he? Okay. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, they're described by the the unnamed social worker oh, right. um, as being folks who, like, didn't integrate oh, right. yes. well into the sanctuary district and like 
aren't satisfied <laughs> with their conditions in a literal ghetto okay, well, that's and still... then are violent about it, right? Yeah. So Okay, well, maybe that's supposed to be, like, uh, again, maybe another political point, but it's a little confusing with that character because he just seems to be annoying yeah. and, like... Uh, <laughs> that's like his social problem and actually Sorry. like uh cisco says literally he's like yeah I, you're you know we're we're working together but you just annoy me and i don't like your hat and i'm like well that's, <laughs> that made me laugh because i'm just like yeah this character like again it's that same problem we were talking about much earlier it's like if somebody's just difficult to get along with they must be in like a, a different social group because they just yeah they, they can't they can't integrate they're not as good at masking or yeah exactly or so i put that down as the lumpen proletarian because of course but i'm just being a little facetious with that it's just you know that obviously these categories are just what the writers needed them to be but i i think as concepts they work and especially when the social worker says introducing these concepts she's like i don't like to use these but these are slang it's like to me that gives it like a little bit more world building or the fact that they're not just because a, a lot of like bad science fiction is in like i don't know why novel adaptations is just like here's the ca categories of people and people just use it without you know really thinking about it <laughs> it's like you know, it'd be stupid to oh, just oh i see you've also watched and or read the expanse <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> so Oh man, a little bit, a little bit of expanse, but man, yeah. So like, yeah, I think I think these work, and any limitations they have can be explained away pretty quickly. So it's like, yeah, it's just like you know, a little bit, a little bit of background detail and kind of important for the the characters and where they're coming from. It's like an easy categorization for a couple of hours. So I do think that for me, one of the strengths of like the second episode specifically which i do agree with you i think is weaker than the first episode is the way it treats like the bc character yes. um because at the end at the end of the first episode he's the one who kills original flavor gabriel <laughs> yes right uh -huh. um and then the second part of the episode very deliberately according to kind of quotes that i found from ira was that it's it's not referenced because again it's BC like yes he killed someone but he's not like a air quotes murderer in like the classical kind of literary like movie yeah, villain or yeah. TV villain sort of sense that like this is a man who's been driven pushed to this point mm -hmm. by you know his the conditions around him to try and you know get to survive and everything else and like yeah i think he is an antagonist for cisco in this episode um and i think if 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 bc i think his contemporary not in the uh sanctuary district is uh currently you know the person annoying you in a group chat somewhere posting like vaguely leftist vaguely libertarian kind of all over the place edgelord memes <laughs> um that he thinks are funny not able to read the mm -hmm. room um but like i do think that it could have been they could have given him more of a villain era arc i guess yeah. um especially with he's the reason that cisco takes on the role of this this black radical leader um and then they don't because they recognize that there are other kind of socioeconomic factors at work yes. um and hey ira even you know is a big arrow flynn fan <laughs> little, um, and kind little of reference and there it, yeah and bc gives and he gives it that gives that that to bc that's why he wants to go to tasmania oh, cute. so yeah uh yeah. well yeah i i just 
dawned on me that yeah this this doesn't have that classic two-part star trek problem where there is like this hokey villain like it's nice that there isn't just a villain like i guess it's the state or it's intolerant society but it's not just one person even the like tech billionaire is like not he's just like well i might as well help because it'll get the ratings up and i'm like well that's a bit of a hand wave too i don't think someone like that would really do that like usually their politics are so irredeemably awful that they wouldn't like give airtime to like people to explain their like everyday lives he's a disney executive yeah maybe (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's like oh, we'll put gay people in our movies but but they can be edited out in china well, I, I admit i definitely like mixed him up with the tech billionaire in the two-part voyager episode with sarah silverman ah, so, yes, yes, yes. where he where he is evil and he's developing technology because i'm like well this guy's gonna have a secret and it's like no he just runs the internet there's no there's no secret here but he's just like <sighs> his, his point and the point of like we talked about the point of him and his friends are like that they're disengaged and when they you know care for an hour or a day that can that can you know turn the tide or whatever but again that seemed a little bit of a weaker part where they just kind of oh let me get dax will just ask him a favor and then, then they need the the final plot point can go ahead but the most unrealistic thing of the episode that doesn't hold up is that the tech billionaire isn't super yeah evil. exactly I, I will stand by that I, I i don't think you could i don't think you could do that at all right now no <laughs> maybe no. in the 90s they had more like hope for these people but not hasn't played out at all so i want so in the second part um after you know they've, they've taken hostages in the, the processing center and chris has has helped them gain access to the net and the residents of the sanctuary district are sharing their stories and we've heard this a couple times through both parts from the the gabe character um who cisco and bashir kind of kind of befriend yeah. and they they use as the the face of the movement with you know the absence of, of original flavor gabriel bell <laughs> um yeah, it's like here's a, a you know straight up family man he's not gonna be offensive he's not annoying like the other guy yeah. and he's not black like cisco so therefore america yeah. in general will believe him so yeah yep yep <laughs> right <laughs> that's what they say they say it right in the yeah. no i i it's it's like yeah it's 100 percent correct like right it's like it's good tv yeah. yep. and that's like in our like 24-hour news cycle era that was like really just had kicked off in force like a couple of years earlier than this episode with things like the oj case and you know the persecution of like heidi fleiss and mm-hmm. things like that the idea of the 24-hour news cycle yeah. like yep yeah. It's it's gonna play, yeah. right? It's gonna play more. Yeah, that's a, that is a realistic it's... part. As as much as the yeah. billionaire was not realistic, this is quite realistic. They don't say he's a billionaire. Yeah. I'm just giving him a stereotype. He was probably just a semi multi millionaire '90s, but yeah, didn't have billions of dollars back then. So. <laughs> inflation man i don't touché. know touche 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 i did want to ask your thoughts of like when a lodgeling like again to quote the social worker i hate to use it but when the gimmies are like telling their stories and you have the the post hipster who moved to san francisco to work in the brewery oh, yeah. and got laid off because of automation with his nice 2024 mustache she they predated mustaches coming yeah, back to yeah. like there you go star trek yep. um, everyone, everyone in kensington or white ave looks like um 
Nick Cage in Raising Arizona. <laughs> so there you go. It's true. <laughs> well, half of them, the older ones still look like Richard Dyfus and Jaws, like my vintage does. It's a variety. The look like yeah. Nick Cage in Raising Arizona. Um, they talk about just like, and you've, you can, this is something you kind of mentioned when you're classifying the gimmies earlier, but like, don't want handouts, want opportunities. And it, it, you've liked it as a kind of like very American. So I guess my question to you is like, do you think this is still through this episode that largely is like shining a light on the downstream impacts on individuals of how capitalism, the current system, however you want to like label it, destroys lives? Do you think it's still then also like perpetuating that again by like supposing that things like being on like like things like, you know, government handouts or which is a loaded negative term, but like these folks wouldn't want to be uh, having universal basic income because they want to like make their own way, rugged individuals and blah, 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 blah. Like how did that play for you? Yeah, definitely. I had to remind myself that Star Trek definitely has the American individual kind of values. Uh, I mean, the, the fridge logic that you could bring to it is that Cisco's saying this stuff because in his century, like wanting to be usefully employed isn't for the services of capital, but that's like, a bit of a stretch because you should realize that the you know this is not it is that case in the century that he's talking to these people in uh so yeah i mean he's just kind of like picking up the the language of the time uh but i don't know i i would think that's kind of a stretch in general to say that it's like well uh you know they're not they're not naming capitalism i know i'm like again i'm so not sure how far they could go really like calling it out or um, within the general kind of Star Trek time yeah. frame, there's really no linchpin or exact era where they abandon capitalism. Like, <laughs> I mean, they clearly do, but it's it doesn't seem yeah. to be this like conscious dawning, a la you know the Communist Manifesto, where like people decide to reject this. It's just always obscured. So that's kind of a, a a general point that you can't really get around. That this episode really you know, makes that very plain that that's just not, it's not going to be sh- shown or told in, in this show or these many shows. Will not be televised. <laughs> exactly. It will not, <laughs> not at least on, on Star Trek, but yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's a, that's yeah. a long answer, but yeah, basically they can't, yeah, no, they it's... can't, uh, they can't show it. They can't do it. Cisco's just, you know, saying what he's got to say. So you know, I still, I still believe him, still support him, but yeah, it's, it's kind of, <laughs> kind of, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't quite fit precisely. So like something that I've tweeted, I alluded to it earlier in the episode, but like that I, I've tweeted about similarly recently and have discussed with folks is like what, what you've just identified, right? The idea that like the utopia of the 21st century kind of just happens without this kind of you know turning on a class consciousness or any kind of like class struggle yes. right it, it's it's very like reads to me that things will just get better one day in incremental <laughs> implements yeah. like yeah we destroyed all of our major cities in world war three but like look what happened <laughs> um look what we can do together mm-hmm. you know the human project mm-hmm. blah 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 um and this episode when i like semi-frequently like raise that kind of thesis um this episode gets brought back to me 
as like an example of like the counter like as a counter narrative as it being kind of this example of class struggle within kind of what we've seen and what they're able to show within star trek and i guess my question to you is then do you agree or disagree with that because i'm not sure how i feel about that because while i agree that like this episode makes the argument that sometimes armed struggle is like cool and good and it's not inherently immoral to like take up arms against oppressive forces a lot of kind of like you say the stuff that the episode is forced to do based on context with gimme is just looking for opportunities and this kind of sense of like rugged individualism is it really an example of like class conflict i don't know i can make a case either way what do you think um yeah i mean i i think push me off the fence (laughs) sure i understand like why people bring it up but i don't think there's any episode of star trek that fully gets there in terms of like what we're looking for i mean honestly probably the one where they unionize quarks is is better because at least one character develops class consciousness (laughs) so (laughs) and i mean it's it's like um you know it's wrong but you know i i don't it's it, even that is just seems kind of like a novelty or just kind of a, a writer's indulgence rather than really part of the same universe that you know all of our favorite starfleet captains operate under and and you know obviously they they have to have people who still are capitalists like even to an absurd like caricature like the frankie to to have unions as a plot but it's i don't know uh yeah I, I pretty much agree i can't i i can't like push you off the fence to and i should be making a mark twain joke there with lock finn or something but i haven't actually read those books so i don't know what the i only i only have star trek to go to as as little literary <laughs> references and characters so did he hang out with Guinan or not? Is that historically accurate? I don't who, know. Who? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. Uh, well, it's, it seems to say that uh, she is around when you least, least expect her to be. So, uh, I just yeah, that like was it Times Arrow that two parter that has Mark Twain uh, on it? Yeah. I also like how Jack London is Data's like bellboy <laughs> yeah. in that movie too. Oh, TNG, you're fun. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of fun stuff there. But uh, yeah, for for the serious social commentary, yeah, I mean, Deep Space Nine is about as far as it goes, but it's still American TV. I don't know what people expect. It's it's not going to have what they want. But I don't I don't think you need to make it into something it isn't to make it have like, you know, important points or at least worth something to think about. Yeah, and and that's just it. Like I think definitely like this episode is like a call to action or like that's I think how they like intended it right the fact that we're still like almost 30 years later and it still is that same kind of call and like if not conditions have not have gotten worse um is I think like an indictment of society um, more so than it is like this episode oh yeah definitely that like I'm bringing a lot of like you know, the, the cynicism that I wake up and fight every morning with, um, kind of to my read of the episode. And I don't, you're right. I don't think that that's totally fair. No, I mean, it's fair. Cause like, I like what we alluded to, if you Google this episode, there are like written pieces about it that I don't disagree with yeah. that are quite glowing, but I think there's a time to kind of 
double down on some of the weaknesses and like say hey this isn't leaning up with what we even think you know two years in the future will be like so yeah there's that really good scene it's a converse when i think because the social worker's diabetic or whatever right? uh she's and um like, hypoglycemia i think glycemia yeah. yeah and so she's getting treated by uh by bashir and they have that conversation and he's like she's talking about the condition of the sanctuary district and it's, it's where she shares the story about um the person who couldn't take care of the baby so left it with her you know employee yeah. she's obviously like a some kind of like um domestic worker or something like that and then got put in the district and had the warrant and she like let this this um person escape into the the district like undocumented <laughs> yes. basically yep, right basically it was is. was being an uh, was was being a sanctuary city in the sanctuary district one sanctuary good the other sanctuary bad mm-hmm. in, <laughs> that, well. in that analogy um and Cisco makes the point that she's not responsible for, uh, not individually responsible for all the social ills of the society that that she lives in, and she makes I think a really well at least it was powerful to me. I don't know how it yeah read I like that scene comment, that that basically where she was like that's what everyone says but how come it doesn't feel that yeah way? no I well I like that whole scene where Bajir is kind of uh trying to provide comfort to the hostages because i think a lot of other shows would be like oh well i also have a family or like why are you putting me through this and he kind of like uh bajir in particular gives them kind of reassurance that the things that they're doing are important and even if they don't understand them which i think is a a level of nuance that you don't see in like a lot of other uh certainly shows of this genre but all the procedurals and things where it's just like oh well if these people are also individuals they should you know like have you know they're be given whatever they need at that moment but it's like well no you 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 know hang on you need you need to like understand your role in this and you, you might not immediately but it's important so i thought that played really well so how'd you feel about the ending uh, a little rushed, but again, that seems to be kind of par for the course. I I did like uh, I I wrote down literally the last line where they're they're just like uh, relieved to discover the timeline has been restored. It's like what well, that okay? Well, <laughs> that's a good little voiceover. Nothing nothing of consequence actually happened. So things happened as they should, and you know we all learned something. <laughs> Sorry, you know we kept saying after school special, so I think it's very much that kind of ending where things kind of get get swept up in a way but i don't know i thought it was kind of if you compare it to like the the classic um star trek time travel stories especially i feel like a lot of the points it got set up as being parallel to city on the edge of forever which is another one that has uh unhoused people like that's the first character that uh bones meets when he goes through the guardian uh but it's kind of in the beginning it's the usual like oh if we change things it'll get worse but it's kind of squares the circle where it's like you know like oh well well, now we have to change them but then things work out the way they should have anyway so it's sort of like kind of plays your with your expectations a bit with that even if it's a bit tidy and a little rushed at the end city on the edge of forever (laughs) i like the yeah i guess this is a bit of an aside i do like the melodrama of that episode the idea that edith keeler had the right idea at the wrong time if we like (laughs) helped homeless people america would stay out of the war and become fascist is just like (laughs) 
nonsense to me. But yeah, anyways, I, don't know. I do enjoy the melodrama of the central. Take, take it up with Har- Harlan Ellison. That. He might write another book about it. It's fine. <laughs> he probably just as easy. I mean, he's dead now. Right? I don't. Still, I assume he's he dead? not he alive. alive. No, he died in 2018. Oh, okay. Where he's still alive, and I had this conversation with him, he'd be likely to punch me. He only me died the pretty so. recently. Like, so that's you know, he he was still writing cranky books like up until like a few years ago. So. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Just like the ending, that idea, like there's that conversation, like the final scene, but which is like echoes i think a better version of the conversation between cisco and bashir in part one where it's like how could they let it get so bad like what are they gonna do like why they stop caring and it's like yeah i think that's really it's like i mean listeners of the podcast will know that anytime we talk about like the bajoran religious stuff you know it it fires up all my religious trauma and i get really into like wanting to talk about it (laughs) um But, like, to, to lean on that a bit, it felt like the altar call of the episode. Like, now's your time to change. Come on down. Like, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, they, they did um, kind of put that in. And, and I think, yeah, exactly. It's an echo of, like, what was moving in part one where they first arrived at the sanctuary. Yeah. And it's just, like, Bajir kind of commiserating. And it it's just seems a little bit more sentimental and hollow. So, yeah. But I, I did really like, again, this is, you're right, we're part one so much better, but when they're having that conversation, and yeah, there's that really, like, striking line about, like, you know, Bashir is like, there are effective treatments for schizophrenia <laughs> yeah. in this day and age. We could help this person today if people cared. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, <sighs> causing people to suffer because you hate them is terrible. But causing people to suffer because you've forgotten the care, that's really hard to understand. And Cisco's like, oh, they'll remember. It'll take time. Like playing like our our typical kind of Starfleet yeah. character. I like Bajir better in that case because he's like from a like a world and you know a timeline where he can't, he can't wrap his head around it. So, and this is the part of that conversation that like really like sticks out to me, and I think kind of is a current that runs through Deep Space Nine's run, and it's something that like we've we've touched on it earlier in this podcast, and we'll, spoiler alert, probably continue to do it, but Bashir's like, it, but it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Are humans really any different than Cardassians or Romulans? If push comes to shove, if something disastrous happens to the Federation, if we are frightened enough or desperate enough, how would we react? Would we stay true to our ideals, or would we just stay up here right back where we started and yeah it's when you're in a capitalist scarcity driven society in which your material needs aren't met you don't have the luxury of the white every tower of ideals or discussion that brenner and his friends have or you know anything else you're just trying to survive you can't you can't argue on twitter which flavor of you know, leftism is the one true way. And I think that's, that was one of my takeaways, like from this episode, like when the riot happens and like, yeah, they're working with BC and like not getting along that it's like, if we want to make change, sometimes it means organizing with people we don't like. Now that doesn't say you cover up, you know, bad behavior or things like that. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that I want to be very clear, but like, a lot of people sit on Twitter and basically are having a version of Chris Brenner's party and think they're <laughs> actually implementing mm, change. Could be, yeah. 
as I sit here at home on a podcast. Well, talking I mean, about it, so. you know, <laughs> glass houses, we, you know, et cetera, have, et cetera. Yeah, no, we, we have a variety of methods. So some, sometimes it's podcasting and sometimes we're on the streets. So well, I'd like to think that, you know, like that's, that's the way that, you know, activists and people who do care don't get burnt out or keep their, you know, social connections and uh, like sense of commitment is just to do a variety of things. So you don't have to explain it away or anything. All right. Well, it feels a little weird to do this without Elise, but we're going to, we're going to give it our best try. Aren't we Karen? Now it's time for the Altair water thirst quencher. Altair water folks might remember first being mentioned in star Trek three by Dr. McCoy. And well, I think this episode has been really good. And I think we've had a really good discussion. And I didn't find it a particularly thirsty episode. (laughs) I don't know. Homelessness and addictions don't really turn me on. Um, And the injustices of society, not, not really my kink, but I do want to shout out when Cisco, not Cisco, when Kieran O'Brien are going back in time to find them, they put on the civilian clothes that they wore um, earlier in in season two, which I think was our our third segment for that during the the circle, during the Lee Nallis prison break. How how do those outfits look less weird than their, anyway, it's fine. (laughs) I'm just looking at the photo. (laughs) They don't look normal ever. They just look like weird costumes. Anyway, it's fine. Yeah, no, it's it's like I saw a TikTok the other day that that said that like there's three genres of clothing that like queer people yeah. can wear. There's dress like a toddler, dress like a goth, or dress like a time traveler that doesn't care. I guess they're literally the yeah, queer I mean, time travelers. Yeah, in this episode, I mean that's right? that's a, that's a Star Trek trope for sure. The queer time travelers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I really wanted to know. Do you think Kira and O'Brien enjoyed listening to Hey Joe uh, in like? 1960 San Francisco. Uh, well, they seem to be just mostly annoyed that they can't hear each other, but I hope they liked it. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought uh, I mentioned this earlier, like much earlier, but uh, it's cute how they kind of touch on the 60s and the, I assume it's the 20s. I guess it could be the 30s too. Oh no, there's a, there's a 20s episode of the um, original series, the gangster episode, but uh, yeah, so it's kind of like alluding to that, but I, I thought the explanation for kira's nose was quite funny because there's so many episodes where they're like well we have to genetically alter you so that you look human and it's just like because you have ears or you know forehead yeah. shapes or something and like yeah you could just like put a hat on or whatever and, and this they just put a bandage on her nose and there's some kind of banter about that and i think i think that's it's cute and the the way they insert the scenes kind of breaks up the tension in part two yeah. which i don't i don't necessarily think it needed to be broken up but uh they chose that so i, I didn't mind seeing the rest of the characters and uh yeah it would be more interesting if it wasn't like just largely o'brien had waving techno battle techno babble to like excuse how they went back in time to do like, yeah the thing, right? if they were if they're gonna just like do it the way they've done it in the past which is just like magic particles or whatever they're just like need even an even shorter explanation because it's just not interesting so because there's some actual tension and like i think one the very very first episode that where they do time travel which i think is the naked 
time, which is like one of the first few episodes. And it's only like a 10 minute scene at the end. But uh, there's actually like a little sense of wonder where they're like, oh, we just traveled through time a little bit. Well, this might be useful in the future. And then they never do the same method ever again. So I don't know why they did that. But but yeah, it's it's not even, it's just super procedural and boring. And that's part of, I think, why part two is not great. Because once they figure out what what is going on, it's just sort of a matter of like, getting them back which is always like the boring b plot of like oh the crew members are missing let's go find them but yeah it's it's almost like there is enough here for like an episode and a half and then they like pad it out to like get it to two episodes or it's like maybe you could have done a couple more passes make it really tight and this would have been like duet which i think is is quite effective well yeah where there's no like silliness basically (laughs) yeah yeah Exactly. Or like, I think a lot of the the best Deep Space Nine, even though it's a show that experimented a lot with like the arcs and two and three parters, like most of the best episodes are just tight one parter episodes. So, yeah, well, fair enough. All right, Karen, did you have a nominee for most Star Trek thing? Uh, sure. I, I thought of this within the first few seconds of the episode starting, but they were so they're on their way to a conference uh, on Earth. I guess that explains why they're on Earth. Uh, not in Deep Space Nine, so they're taking the Defiant to uh, to Earth. Uh, but yeah, they never get to the conference. So half the time they don't they don't get to the conference at all. Like this is not just Deep Space Nine, but all of the shows. Yeah. And then if they do, it's just apparently just too boring even for Star Trek to show the conference unless there's like an assassination attempt or something. But if it's just like a normal conference and nothing happens, it's just a B plot, and it's like characters are reporting back from. Like, oh, I just enjoyed this talk or whatever, but you don't see the talk. So to me, that's the most Star Trek thing. And it happens within the first like minute or two. So, And related, my my candidate is, we've talked about it already in this episode, is just the magic particle, hand wavy <laughs> techno babble. It's like, we had an idea to send people back in time. How are you going to do it? I don't know. Magic. Um, and then honorable mention to it being produced in the 90s as a corporate product by Paramount. So, you know, there is this like liberal streak that can't quite go as far as maybe the writers wanted to wanted to take it in this episode. So that's that's my honorable mention in most Star Trek moment. Nice, nice. Well Karen, thank you so much for for both joining I would say joining us. Joining <laughs> me and, and filling in for for the Elise. Spirit of my, Elise my, my, sh- yeah. It's always, always their katra is, is inside me. they left oh, it here nice, when they visited nice. me a couple weeks ago um, but yeah thank you so much for joining us and i would love to have you back and i know elise was really bummed not to miss it so i know they'd love to have oh, you fantastic. back too even though they haven't heard this yet no. not to speak for them but i'm gonna oh, speak for I'm, them. I'm, i assume that's a safe <laughs> right assumption. now again like, the katra no, speaking the katra speaking um uh, in the meantime where sure. can folks find more of you on the uh, internet if they want yeah to? so i'm on twitter uh prairie flanner so flanner is a french word it's f-l-a-n-e-u-r uh and i i just like the prairies so my design company is prairiecropdesign.com uh so you can visit that website for more design and illustration work so that's that's it did you do the wheatboard defense core like design for like the pin that went out to advantage patrons oh, yeah. a couple years ago i sure did I it's I wear it all the time. It's like literally one of my favorite. Fantastic. Pants. Well, actually, oh, if um if great. this episode makes it to air before or on 
to the the net as they say in this episode uh then before october 1st i'll also be at the panel one art show in calgary on october 1st uh which is a local comic arts show and it's going to be all day that day at hillhurst sunnyside uh community association and i'll have pins stickers lots of new original products so with a prairie theme but not necessarily all advantage all the time so we got uh got different channels now so and now Matt's looking at his calendar to see if he can do a calgary road trip. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I can uh, I can also send things in the mail, so do, worry right, not. There, go. Yes. there we go. We Well, there's still a mail. As, as, the, All as right. the mail is not privatized yet, so uh, and if folks want to find more of me as always you can find me on twitter and letterboxd at maddie you can find elise at, on twitter and letterboxd as well at elise underscore tendy you can catch us together on twitter and instagram at pod and you can email us at podrace at gmail.com and as always thank you to dj empirical for our interstellar theme song and to melissa our editor and until next time computer and program Bye.